Today we take a turn from divine appointments that we've been talking about in the summer here so far. We take a turn to discipleship now and to discover the journey Jesus is calling you to. Now walk, with, walk with me back to the shores of Galilee. Not far from the seaside city of Capernaum, a crowd has gathered on the rocky beach. Above the lapping of waves is the voice of the healer and teacher, Jesus of Nazareth. And I invite you today to put yourself in that crowd. Open your heart and life to the call of discipleship echoing down into our own day and age. Be ready for the journey of discipleship. Now, the story we will look at today occurred about eight months after the encounter, the first encounter Peter had with Jesus. It was found in John chapter 1. When Andrew, after hearing John the Baptist's proclamation of Jesus being the Lamb of God, he brought Simon to Jesus, and then Jesus, speaking with Peter, well, Simon at the time, gave him the name Peter. And a lot had transpired in those eight months. Jesus had cleared the temple, and he had been rejected at the synagogue of Nazareth, causing him to move to Capernaum, where Peter now lived. And Jesus had preached the Sermon on the Mount on one of the local hillsides, and Peter probably was there, or at least heard others talk about the situation and the event. All of this had caused Jesus' popularity, uh, his notoriety, uh, to grow and spread so that thousands wanted to hear him and wanted to follow him. Which leads us to today's story found in Luke chapter 5. If you haven't turned there yet, we're going to be starting there and uh, read through the first 11 verses of Luke chapter 5. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, uh, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now, I don't know, Fred, if you've had this kind of boating experience before, fishing experience, uh, you probably would love that out on the boat and bringing all the, those fish. <laughs> I don't doubt it happened. <laughs> and there you go. And Jesus told you to put the nets on the other side of the boat, and you did. <laughs> well, here we encounter the classic story of the calling of the first disciples. Simon, who will be called Peter, and his fellow fishermen were, were, are pulled from a standard life into a significant life. They were given the invitation to discipleship. 
Now, I'd like to share with you five observations from this portion of Scripture that, we, that was just read, and then three takeaways from the message today. Now, first of all, the first observation comes in a question, and it's found in the first two verses that we read. The question is, do you find yourself in the Jesus crowd, but not particularly involved? Do you find yourself in the Jesus crowd, but not particularly involved? Peter and the fishermen were around Jesus and his crowd of followers, but they themselves were working on their nets. They were mending them, they were tending to them, uninvolved with what Jesus was doing. You know, so also in, in churches today, there are those who might label themselves as Christians, but actually they pay little attention to Jesus and what he wants for their lives personally. They come to church, but that's about all they do. You could be involved with coming to church as well, but maybe uninvolved with a relationship with Jesus. Church is your thing. Relationship with Jesus you just don't know of yet. Or you could be involved with a relationship with Jesus. You've received Him as Savior. You know Him as Lord, but maybe uninvolved with His will for your life. Maybe you're not so involved with what He wants you to be doing and what He wants to do through you. So you can be in the Jesus crowd, but you can also be uninvolved. In verse 3, it says, He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. A second observation. Jesus desires everyone to follow him on the journey of discipleship. Jesus desires everyone to follow him on the journey of discipleship. As some of you know, hospital regulations require a wheelchair for patients being discharged. One student nurse tells a story of arriving at a hospital room to transport a discharged patient. When she arrived, she found an elderly gentleman already dressed and sitting on the bed with a suitcase at his feet. The elderly gentleman insisted he didn't need the nurse's help to leave the hospital. But after a chat about rules being rules and how everyone had to obey them, the elderly gentleman reluctantly let the nurse wheel him to the elevator. And then in the elevator, on the way down, the student nurse asked if his wife was meeting him, and the elderly man replied, I don't know. She's still upstairs in the bathroom changing out of her hospital gown. <laughs> so how willing are you to follow the orders of others? How willing are you to follow the orders of others? Obedience is often something that many of us struggle with, but obedience is a key aspect of learning to follow, follow Christ. Fishermen in this culture were known to be a little rough and rugged. Though they were not interested in following him, Jesus went to them and intersected his life and his kingdom work with their lives. In the parallel call story in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus invites the disciples, he says, come, follow me. And Christianity isn't a one-time decision, but the invitation to a lifelong journey of following Jesus. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon, and it's something we pace ourselves with, and something that lasts a lifetime. But Jesus desires everyone to follow him on this journey of discipleship. Another observation can be found in verses 4 through 7. And here we see the goal of discipleship 
is to expand the kingdom by our gifts and abilities. It's to expand the kingdom by our gifts and abilities. That's the goal of discipleship. Now, the command that Jesus made to Peter at that moment must have caused Peter to hesitate for a number of reasons. Put out further, put your nets on the other side. Peter had finished these, uh, fished these waters from boyhood, and there was nothing about the fishing profession with which he was not familiar. He, he knew a lot about fishing. Peter was an expert in the habits of the fish, the hours and, and spots most suitable for, for, for take, uh, taking them. But at that moment, Peter found himself suddenly confronted with a command that contradicted not only his own experience, but a universal uh, maxims and the practice of generations of fishermen. You just don't do that. That's not what you do. If it's not if fish aren't out there, you wait. You go, go again another time. Everyone knew that this was the wrong time of the day to fish. Fish are most easily caught during the night or early in the morning, not in the middle of the day. And everyone knew that where Jesus wanted him to fish was the wrong place to fish. The fishermen of the Sea of Galilee knew that you fish near shore, not out in the deep. With all these things uh, in Peter's mind, Peter's obedience kind of faltered a little bit, as we saw there in those verses. And he respectfully expressed his hesitation in the reply. He said, Master, we've, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. All of us who are followers of Christ have faced those moments when God's commands are contrary to what seems best to us or what is the accepted practice of our culture. In those moments, we might respectfully question the Lord, are you sure that's what you want me to do? Are you sure, God, this is where you want me to go? But in the end, happy are those who, who after such a moment of hesitation, reply like Peter replied when he said, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. What happened as a result of Peter, Peter's reluctant obedience is miraculous and stupendous. The Bible says in verses 6 and 7, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Can you imagine the surprise that must have come over Peter? Waking him out of his discouragement and also his exhaustion. Immediately he jumped into motion trying to keep his nets from breaking and his boat from sinking. He sent an SOS to his partners, James and John, and they quickly came with their boat. Can you picture the two boats filled to the brim with fish flopping everywhere, slowly coming back to shore with the top edge of the hull of the boats dangerously level with the water? This is what fishermen dream about, coming in with a catch like that. Professional fishermen spend a lifetime fishing in hopes that maybe one day something like this will happen. A huge catch, a bumper crop, basically. When Jesus directs the fishermen to cast and, and they receive the miraculous catch of fish, this is kind of overshadowing, uh, excuse me, foreshadowing Jesus' plan for these disciples. Something looking ahead. Through this journey of teaching and reflecting and, and trials and experiences of God, they will become the fishers of men Jesus knows they can be. 
how might you think a person would respond to such an experience? We might have expected Peter to rejoice by saying, we're rich, we've got the, the mother load here of fish. This is our best day ever. Or we might have expected Peter to say, Jesus, you are my new fishing partner. <laughs> you are like a human fish finder. I'm never going to fish without you ever again. I don't think any of us would have predicted the response of Peter. Look with me in the next verses there, in verses 8 through 10. It says, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. Another observation about discipleship in, in context here with this portion of Scripture. We must not let our prior performance hinder our following Christ. We should not let our prior performance hinder, hinder our following of Jesus Christ. What happened in the past is in the past. If it's been forgiven, it's forgiven. Move on forward with Jesus, following Him. Peter had been around Jesus and had heard and been, had seen some pretty amazing things. But this miracle took things to a whole new level. Peter realized in that moment that his teacher and his friend possessed more power than any mortal could, could weld. And, and Peter realized he was in the presence of God. And he had not realized it until that moment. Jesus was not just another prophet. Jesus was divine. And when Peter realized he was in the presence of God, at once he felt that his own nakedness and sinfulness were laid bare. And he cried out, I'm a sinful man. You don't want to be near me at all. But Peter's response is typical of others who have found themselves in the presence of God. Maybe you've been there before. You've sensed God in an incredible way, and all of a sudden you just fall on your face and go, Lord, don't look at me. Please. I'm sure you remember some responses that some of the biblical characters have had. Isaiah, his response when he was given a glimpse of glory, he said, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Do you remember how Job responded when divine glory shone upon his soul? He said, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. To see God as he is, is to see ourselves as we really are. In that moment, we realize how far we fall short of the glory of God. We realize how sinful we are and how, how our righteousness is as filthy rags. We might even conclude that God should want nothing to do with us, but we couldn't be any more wrong. Peter knows that he is a sinner, and he's unworthy of the call. And so too, we must confess our sin, repent, and leave that lifestyle behind to follow Christ. But don't let your past performance dictate your future of following Christ. Though Peter isn't yet the fervent evangelist we read about in in, the, in chapters 2 and 3 of Acts, where, he, where he's healing beggars and leading thousands to Jesus in one sermon, 
Discipleship is the journey which will form his character and make him into the man God wants him to be. That's what discipleship does. And God is still working on you as well. You are a work in progress. He is forming the character in you and making you into the person He wants you to be through this journey of discipleship. Remember that He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in you. And notice how Jesus responded to Peter's suggestion that that Jesus get far away from someone as sinful as he. Jesus could have said, you know, you know what, Peter, you're right. What am I doing wasting my time on someone like you? But that's not how Jesus responded. The Bible says, and Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Jesus had known the truth about Peter's sinfulness and he had known it for a long time, but what mattered now was that Peter admitted the truth about himself. With Peter's pride stripped away, and with a heart of repentance, he was truly ready to follow Jesus. Truly ready. When our sin is despised, when it's repented of, and when it's confessed, it need not prevent anyone from Jesus' presence or service. When we give that sin to Him and we've confessed it, then that's under the blood and we don't go there anymore. All of God's workers and servants have been and are sinners saved by grace. We all are. And it's amazing the beautiful music that can be produced from the life of a person who is conscious of their sin and has sought God's forgiveness. No sin is too too deep-seated. No sin is too dirty that God cannot cleanse and heal and transform. It is impossible to exaggerate the comfort that those words must have brought to Peter that day and brings to us as well in our day when we are conscious of our profound unworthiness and appreciative of God's glorious grace. So not only did Peter respond to God's mercy that day, but Peter and his business partners received the call to follow Jesus. Verse 11, so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Which leads to one last observation. We must leave behind all that will hold us back from discipleship. We must leave behind all that will hold us back from discipleship. When they arrived at the shore and those boats laden with fish, the biggest catch of their lives, they left it all there and they followed Jesus. In that moment, Peter, Andrew, James, John's, their purpose in living went from fishing for fish to fishing for men. That doesn't mean they would uh, never fish for fish again, but their primary focus turned to the spiritual over the physical, the heavenly over the earthly. They left their nets, they left their boats, and their old lives behind to follow after Jesus. Discovering who he was and what his plan for their life was became the priority that now consumed their lives. In the same way, as disciples of Christ, we also too need to leave behind those things that will be distracting, those things that aren't of Jesus. 
and allow, and doesn't mean that, that God would, would bring you back to those possibly. He might allow you to be involved with the things you might be leaving behind that you enjoyed doing before you met Christ. But Jesus is asking you as a disciple of Christ to follow Him. And what it requires in that point is to leave behind those things that are going to hold you back from that discipleship time, that relationship with Jesus. So we need to realize those things in our lives. Notice those things in our lives that might be a distraction in our relationship with Jesus. Being able to hear what's going on and the pictures going on behind us. You need to put those distractions aside to be able to hear what Jesus is telling you, leading you. So are you, are you following after Jesus on the journey and adventure of discipleship? Or are you just on the outskirts of the Jesus crowd, not fully involved, just there? Jesus is coming to you, and he knows you are over there washing your nets, minding your own business, but he wants your attention. We may feel unworthy to follow him, but Jesus is ready for us to take the next step wherever we are, wherever we are on that journey. Remember, Peter is just an unschooled fisherman, and in his words, he said, a sinful man. But the journey of following Jesus will form our character and make us into the men and women he wants us to be. We may not need to leave our jobs and livelihood behind to follow Jesus, but there may be things which are entangling us from following Jesus and discipleship. It could be a sinful habit. It could be an all-consuming hobby. It could be our, our crowd of friends. But we need to trim up our, our busy lives and carve out time to take our own discipleship seriously. What is Jesus calling you to do? Let me leave with you three lessons that we can take away from this calling of Jesus' disciples. The first lesson is this. The call to follow Jesus begins and continues with acceptance begins and continues with acceptance. We could talk about accepting the invitation to follow Christ, but what I think we should focus on is the acceptance that God offers each of us. It is the acceptance of the fact that God loves each of us and that God wants each of us to be in His family and to be on His team. He's wanting you to be there. And it is the acceptance of the fact that if we are in Christ and if we are trying to walk in the light, and turn away from sin, then our sins are forgiven. Don't go back there again. Each of these things have to do with the promises of God, and, and, they are the, and they are the truth. God loves you. God loves me. God wants you. God wants me. And God, God forgives you, and God forgives me. Those things are true. And one of the ongoing schemes of Satan is his attempts to erode our confidence in these truths, and in this reality. He continues to try to convince us that God doesn't love us, that God doesn't want us, and that God doesn't forgive us. We've done too many things. We've been, we've been away too far and done horrible things. If God has forgiven us, then it's been forgiven. God loves us enough. But we, all, we must understand the evil one is a liar and those things that he says to us are not true. 
Peter struggled initially with the acceptance of God's love and his forgiveness and his call. It was an ongoing struggle for him to accept those things because he often fell short as we often do. But if we are going to be a people who are committed followers of Jesus, then it begins and continues with accepting God's love, accepting God's forgiveness, and accepting God's use of us in His service. He wants to use you. Yes, you. He's calling upon you to be the one. A second lesson that we can learn is that the call to follow Jesus begins and continues with obedience. Not only acceptance, but obedience. What would have happened if Peter had not complied with Jesus' commands? Nothing good would have happened, and much good would, would have been missed in the whole situation. And what if Peter had said, you know, Jesus, I'm too busy with my nets to let you use my boat as a pulpit. Find something else. Or what if Peter had said, Jesus, I know better than to try to fish out in the deep. You're crazy. I won't do it. Thankfully, Peter finally said, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Christ must be allowed to be the master that he is. His will must rule. There cannot be two captains in the boat. If Jesus is your co-pilot, as so many claim, uh, you're sitting in the wrong seat. <laughs> Jesus needs to be the captain. We must make Christ the captain while we take the oars or set the sails in the direction he commands us. He makes the calls. Because you say so. That has been the catchphrase of God's faithful followers throughout time. Because you say so. Think of Abraham, who set out from his homeland not knowing where he was going, because God said so. Think of Noah, who built an ark in the face of an unbelieving world that had never seen rain nor a flood, because God said so. Think of Moses, who stood defiantly before Pharaoh, demanding he let God's people go because God said so. Think of Joshua, who marched around Jericho day after day because God said so. Following Jesus begins and continues with obedience because God says so. A final lesson we can learn and take away from this has to do with partnership. The call to follow Jesus allows us to be co-workers with Him. The call to follow Jesus allows us to be co-workers with Him. Jesus didn't need Peter's help to bring in the great catch of fish, and yet Jesus used Peter in the process. Jesus could have made the fish jump into the boat, and even though there was a miraculous element to the catch, they were caught in Peter's nets. What was true about that catch of fish is also true when we go fishing for men and women. God could choose to bring people to Christ without our assistance. And yet, even though there is a miraculous element to our catching men and women for Christ, God chooses to use us in the process. He chooses to use you. He chooses to use me. God doesn't need our witness or our efforts to save anybody. He, he could save people just like he converted the Apostle Paul on the way to Damascus. Bright, shining light, voice from heaven. All that could happen. God could do it that way, but that doesn't seem to be His will. God's will seems to be to save people through people. Save people through us. 
Lloyd Ogilvie says it this way, without God, we can't. Without us, he won't. And so it is not only our privilege to work with God in reaching the lost, it is our responsibility. And if we don't do it or won't do it, then will it get done? I'd hate to find out. We should act in obedience, not worry about that part, because God says so. John Harper was a minister from Scotland who died along with thousands of other people when the Titanic sunk in 1912. Some people who survived uh, reported that Harper preached the gospel to the very end. Survivors later reported that as the Titanic began to sink, Harper admonished people to be prepared to die. He made sure his sister and daughter were in a lifeboat even as he continued to share the gospel with whoever would listen. And when he found himself in the icy water with a life jacket floating near another man, Harper asked, Are you saved? No, I'm not saved, the desperate man replied. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, Harper shouted. And one report says Harper, knowing he could not survive long in the icy water, took off his life jacket and threw it to another person with the words, You need this more than I do. Moments later, Harper disappeared beneath the water. Four years later, when there was a reunion of the survivors of the Titanic, the man to whom Harper had witnessed told the story of his rescue and gave a testimony of his conversion recorded in a tract called I Was John Harper's Last Convert. His name was Aquila Webb. And the gospel that John Harper shared that day and that we continue to share today does not spare people from drowning in an ocean, but it does spare us from a far worse eternal destruction. I hope and pray that we will be fishers of men, fishers of women, just like Peter and just like John Harper. I want to be faithful in sharing the gospel and catching men and women until the moment I breathe my last breath. But picture yourself on your deathbed maybe in a hospital, or maybe at home, and someone comes to see you who doesn't know the Lord. Maybe it is a nurse, maybe it's a caregiver, or maybe it is a family member. Wouldn't you want your last words to be, put your faith in Jesus? You will never regret it? The call to follow Jesus begins and continues with both acceptance and obedience. I'm going to ask the worship team coming up. They're going to lead us in a couple songs. And as they do, let me ask you a few questions here to kind of conclude our time here. Let me ask you this. Do you want a life of significance or just a simple and standard life? Are you okay with the status quo? Are you willing to maybe have a life of significance that God's going to use you? Jesus could see the person Peter could be if he would only follow him on, on this road of transformation. Maybe today, you're just on the outskirts of the Jesus crowd. You're in the Jesus crowd, but not involved. Maybe you go to church. Maybe you own a Bible. And you were brought up in maybe in a Christian home. But you never really made this Jesus thing real in your own personal life. Maybe it's your parents' thing and you haven't taken it on yourself. Christ is calling you today on a journey of discovery. If you seek Him with all your heart, you will find Him. 
and find yourself transformed into a world changer, just like Simon Peter. The altar is open if for anyone who wants to come and, and respond to the message today. If God is speaking to your heart, I encourage you to come, pray. Won't you come?